0: hello comic creators welcome to this week's episode of the comics connection podcast a podcast where we talk about both the business and creative side of being a professional comic book creator i'm gamal i usually talk about the business side he's andy he talks a lot about the business and creative side because he actually knows both so andy i think what we're gonna start out with is this idea that was actually in the Comics Connection Discord, the Discord where we actually have all of our members talk about the different aspects of the business that we're working on. And a lot of things, a lot of the discussion actually revolves around how do you actually break through and have a career? So you're working full-time in the comic book industry. And one of the topics that actually come up Very recently is the idea of tying something like Kickstarter to Kevin Kelly's like 10,000 fans theory. Now, are you familiar with 10,000 fans theory? Not 10,000 fans. I'm sorry, it's a thousand fans. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: am. I am familiar with the theory, but why don't you let our our listeners know what it is?
0: Okay, so just the 10,000 foot view is. There was a writer named Kevin Kelly who, back in 2003, long before Kickstarter or anything else, actually had a theory that said if you're a creative person, and he, in his example, he used musicians, if you had a thousand people, the entire—that's all the people that knew about you—but they were very passionate about your work, and they spent if you made some something every year that cost a thousand, a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars times a thousand people puts you into the position where you are now a full-time musician you don't need millions and millions of copies sold you don't need a huge record deal you just need a thousand people to really be into what it is you're doing and this actually translates into what is called the thousand true fans rule so for comics i feel like in a lot of ways Kickstarter is a perfect way to actually define who your true fans are, because these are the people that are going to spend usually more than what a regular comic book costs to acquire your book because they want to be first, because they're really into your book. So if you can get a thousand people consistently to back your Kickstarter, and you could actually get consistent production of your comics, of, you know, the material you're making, that could go a long way in addition to direct market and bookstores and libraries and direct to consumer and everything else into getting you to a point where this is all like a viable thing. So you're not really trying to get 10,000 sales in the direct market. You're not really trying to get, you know, a blockbuster, you know, Raina Telgemeier type numbers. Andy, you've worked in comics for a long time and you've just, completed a successful Kickstarter. So do you think Kickstarter is actually, well, first of all, what is your theory? What is your feeling on the thousand fans concept in a in the first place?
1: I think it's a lot, uh, it's a lot easier to say a thousand fans give you a hundred dollars and therefore you made a hundred thousand dollars than it <laughs> is to say a thousand fans give you a hundred dollars and you spent making that thing. Mm -hmm. So that's, and that's, uh, I don't know too much about the music industry, but I do know plenty of people who have like their own like recording studios and stuff like in their homes, obviously there's an expense to get all that equipment, but let's say that's all paid off. Yeah, the, you know, and you're just making a digital product that people will download. That's a very different prospect than making a, a physical product that you have to print, manufacture, ship out, all that kind of stuff just because of the amount of costs that go into that also with most comic creators there's a team of people they all need to be compensated so that money starts to get split up Mm
0: -hmm. much more
1: quickly um so that's that's sort of like the that's what makes comics a little bit more difficult than than some other media Mm -hmm. but I, i like the theory like i mean i i think of it less of a rule than a than like a rule of thumb Like Mm -hmm. that seems like a good milestone to try to get to. Like um, our Kickstarter, which was our first one, had about two hundred and fifty backers, and it did it did well. We're happy with that. Um, As we continue, we hope to grow that that number from one. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand is they expect that a thousand true fans to show up on day one. That's something. Thousand true fans is not easy to get. Like you have Mm -hmm. to build to it it sounds not that hard but it it's still it's still quite difficult just even getting your work out in front of that many people where they take a look at it especially if you're asking people to read like people don't like reading anymore
0: well it's actually you brought up a very good point about the concept of it being a rule of thumb because when i first encountered the theory i came to the conclusion that it really depended a lot on what medium you were talking about when you're trying to be creative because if you're a you're a sculptor and you're, you know, your pieces are going for 10, $15,000 a pop. You don't need a thousand. You need like 20 and you're done. Because yeah. the, the amount, the, the cost of the piece actually reduces the number of people you need. And the reason why I started out saying 10,000 fans instead of a thousand is because when I extrapolated that out to comics, it seemed like 10,000 was the number that you needed not that they were going to, because a, you probably weren't going to produce hundred dollars worth of material for people to buy every year, so you needed more people to buy you like the fewer <laughs> items you were creating, and mm-hmm. because your price point isn't necessarily going to be that high, you kind of need more people to spread out the spread out the the cost in turn, and also to you know increase the revenue because like you said, if you've got Four people working on a book, or six people working on a book, and each one of them needs to make this, you know, theoretical amount of money. Then it's not a thousand for comics. It's like five thousand, ten thousand, because then it's covering those production costs you talked about, covering, you know, spreading out the revenue to all the people involved, like you talked about. And if a thousand people is not easy because it's not, then ten thousand is. Ten times harder, and it has to happen kind of like over time. But if I think if you look at like uh, what Iron Circus did with crowdfunding, or what a lot of a lot of people who have been in the crowdfunding game for a while, they may not have ten thousand, but they're getting close. They figured out how to make those numbers work, where it's the bulk of their money is actually coming from a very small group of people who are intensely involved in what it is that they're doing so that you're relying less on casual impulse buyers. So how many, well, I guess this is a theoretical idea, a theoretical question for CEX, how many of these true fans, let's call them, if your first Kickstarter got you 250, how many, what kind of growth do you think you're looking at over uh, how many years until you get to a point where you've kind of crossed that threshold?
1: Well, I'm, my guess is it'll be several years. Um, because, and part of that is because CEX publishes a diverse range of titles, like genre wise mm-hmm. and stuff. So I don't expect that because we got 250 people backing this one, that all 250 of them will, you know, that back Midnight Tiger, a, a super teen superhero book. Will back, uh, you know, a Western or, uh, you know, a sci-fi book or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it's going to take quite a long time to to build that. It, do I think it's possible? Yes, um, but I think that is a long-term goal, and I and I think I'm being realistic about it. And I don't know that we'll achieve a thou- like a thousand on every campaign. I think that's a lot to ask for the comics market. It's possible. I've seen campaigns that have done it,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: they're usually um you know they're usually you know things like you know sandman or you know <laughs> stuff like that well you know?
0: well that in that there you're talking about people bringing in a pre-existing fan base to actually right. back a project which is a a different dynamic well it is the same dynamic but played out over a much larger period of time in a much different context like if you talk of look at what like Coffin Comics, they are regularly making huge amounts of money off of the Lady Death series. But A, Lady Death has been around for 20 years. B, it's pretty much not safe for work, which actually does better in Kickstarter. And C, it already had a pre existing fan base before they started the Kickstarter. So the same thing with like Keanu Reeves Berserker and Neil Gaiman and all of these other people. If they have those fans, they bring them in, and it actually makes the it makes it deceptive. It seems like it's easy to actually make a crowd Kickstarter happen when it is not, because you need the you need that pre existing fan base, which means you need a certain amount of quality in the product that you have, which is going to be our segue into the second piece of this, where we actually talk a little bit because we talk a lot in these past few episodes about a lot of the business and marketing and distribution and pricing and all of those other things. but um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the actual creative side of it and what it is that you know emerging and independent creators should be looking to accomplish on that side. So I'm going to, you know let you have the floor. You know, let you shower. Sure. Enjoy your
1: water. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I basically the reason I I brought this up before we began recording was because we have been talking a lot about the business side more so than the creative lately, and I meet a lot of people that want to get into comics and want their comics to sell well, and they approach things from like what we were just talking about. I need to get on Kickstarter. I need to do this. I need to do that. Like all of these things, and and like the story and the art and all that seems like an afterthought on the Mm -hmm. flip side i run into a lot of people that do the opposite they don't want to think at all about how are they going to sell it consistent page counts from one issue to another they're like let the art be if it's good enough it'll sell and reality is you the two together right Mm -hmm. um Kickstarter or any crowdfunding platform allows more flexibility in terms of page counts and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, like if somebody is bringing a project to me, if I really like it, but issue one is thirty pages, and issue two is twenty-one pages, and issue three is back to thirty pages, and issue four is thirty-eight pages, I don't know how to price that as a mini-series, right? I can't mm. just slap a three ninety-nine or a four ninety-nine on them all right? They, they almost, do I price them individually? Like in, in which case retailers and fans go crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, there really is this, I really think that the, the most effective approach is to really be working on both at the same time. Right. And, and when you come up with a concept or whatever, run it th- through that business side, be like, can I do it this way? Can I, how is this going to work on Kickstarter? Do I have a platform? Is there a way I can do a collectible that I could do at a higher price point? Is there, you know, all that stuff. So it's not one dictating to the other, it's the two of them maximizing mm-hmm. what can be done with them. And so what I want to talk about here because it is getting harder and harder in the direct market, sales are just down, retailers are holding on to their money more, um, which is fine. This happens every so often, right? But it's difficult when it does happen. So one of the things that that is really important you know, for me personally, is evaluating: Do I have a hook? Do mm-hmm. I have a hook? And who does that hook actually hook? Right? Um, and I think getting a getting a really solid premise that's very clear and very precise and very easy to explain, especially when you're starting out, is one of the one of the best things you can do because that will help you on all the business side. And it will also help you on the creative side, like stay true to what you're doing. I cannot tell you how many times I get asked to look at a Kickstarter, like pre-launch or even after it launched or after it failed and people, you know, post online. I don't understand how this failed. It had all this great stuff in it. And then I click on the link, I go and I look at it and I can't make heads or tails of what it was or who it was for. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folks approach things of like, this resembles a lot of things that i grew up loving Mm -hmm. right and so so it's like this weird like mishmash of things that you had to be eight in 1993 Mm -hmm. to to really get into right or you wind up with somebody doing some massive epic thing and it's really hard to follow and they and they forget the simple sort of rule and even massive epic stories have something simple at their at their core. You know one of the things I do in in our you know intro to writing comics class is i'll I'll take really big large scale saga type stories and boil them down to a fairly simple premise. And one of the easiest is Lord of the Rings. Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, at its core is there's a hobbit, like your least uh, physically imposing type of person that inhabits this land comes into possession of the one ring of power, the most evil mm-hmm. and most powerful ring. And all his job is, is to kill it, is to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, and where the story comes from, is that in order to destroy it, he has to walk seemingly across all of Middle-earth mm-hmm. through multiple wars, climb up a mountain, and throw it in to the, the Mount Doom. So that's where all the story takes place. But at its core, like that's something I can understand. There's a dark lord that's after this ring. If the dark lord gets the ring, that's it for everybody. This least suspecting person is who has it mm-hmm. and who has to carry it and, and take it up there. So it's very simple conceptually. Um and and a lot of people just don't understand how to boil their. They get into their story. That's part of it, is you're excited about your story, which is great, but you lose yourself in your in your story and you need to be able to hone that down and i think that's one of those it's one of those things that it does get talked about but it's i don't think it gets stressed enough especially when you're starting out once you once you become neil gaiman neil gaiman can write a book and put it out and tell no one what it's about and it will sell because it's neil gaiman but -hmm. until you're neil it's it's more of these sorts of these hooks and these premises that are gonna help move the needle
0: Okay, can you actually explain, just from a technical standpoint, what you mean by a hook? Because I think a lot that word gets tossed around in literary circles, in comic book circles. But define what a hook is for those who have never actually come across the actual
1: definition. Um, well, in this case, when you're talking about like like trying to sell a series, right? The hook mm-hmm. is just the 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 idea or the one aspect. And and it can be an image, in some cases, mm-hmm. it is an image, um, that that grabs people's attention and makes them go, I want to check that out. Right. And so the 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 other analogy I use is like the difference between buying a ticket to a movie and going to see it mm-hmm. and coming back to see it a second time, right? Mm-hmm. So your a really great ad campaign for a movie can have a hook in it, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh. That's great. I want to see it. I just saw the last voyage of the Demeter a couple of weeks ago. Um, which, if you don't know, uh, in the novel Dracula, there's a ship, the Demeter, that Dracula like is below decks, like encased in Transylvanian dirt, whatever. And the and the and it comes to it comes to London. There's very little in the novel about the Demeter. Basically, we know that he gets loaded on there, and we know that when it arrives in London, everybody on board is dead. that's all we know in the novel and so so this group of filmmakers made this film about that journey and what happened on that journey i think that's a great premise i happen to be a dracula fan so i was like this is great i can't wait to go in i was very excited i bought my ticket which they got my 12 dollars or whatever it was uh and i went to go see it the movie itself was fine Mm -hmm. it was not great i don't need to see it again had that movie the hook i thought was great the execution of the story was not as compelling as I had hoped. Had it been really compelling, I would have gone back and seen it again and again or taken in a sequel if they made a mm-hmm. sequel, although maybe not. But um, but, I mean, that's the difference. Like there's the, there's the what, how do you sell it and what it is are not always the same thing. They're linked, mm-hmm. of course, but they're not always the same thing. You know, and on the flip side of that, you know I think there was a lot of interest in Raiders of the Lost Ark when it came out, but the reason that the Temple of Doom had a huge opening, the mm-hmm. sequel when it came out, was because people loved the execution. Like people went to see Raiders of Lost Ark. They loved the guy with the hat and the whip and the gun and all that stuff. And so when the sequel came out, they were all about going to spend more time with Indiana Jones. The concept of Raiders of the Lost Ark is the search during World War II for the Ark of the Covenant, Mm -hmm. sort of magical, mystical thing. That's a really cool concept. That's what got people kind of in the door. No one came out of Temple of Doom asking why the Ark of the Covenant was not in that movie. Right. Because that's not, that was the hook that got you in, but it wasn't the thing that made you fall in love with the story.
0: Mm. So it sounds like, just to to, to tie these two ideas together, it is going to be very difficult for you to grow your fan base to get to that point where you have those 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever number it is, if all you have is the hook. If all you have is things that gets them in the door in the first place and they're excited about the idea, but then the quality of your book is bad, the execution of your book isn't, isn't compelling, then no one will show up for the second one which means you're constantly starting over. like let's say all you do is you make really good hooks. so you, every time you right. do a book it's a really good idea, but then it yes. never you never actually ex- you never stick the landing. You will constantly get some people interested, but you'll never get them to stay with you on that kind of journey. So it seems like a lot of times i you I'll use um I guess Alan Moore as an example of that, where okay, here's the hook. And then the but the execute and the execution may be, you know, superlative. So the next time he gives you a hook, you're like, okay, I don't, I may not even be that interested in this one, but the last three were so good, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump onto this one and see, you know, just see what happens. So I guess what we're saying is to get the to get the fans, you need both the hook to get them in the door and the quality of the book to keep them you know on the ride does that make sense
1: yeah 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 yeah. both matter for sure because uh, i we sometimes have struggled with having a really quality book but having a hard time figuring out how to sell it like what is the Mm -hmm. hook that gets people in like i know it's a really great book if people read it they will like it but how do i get them to read it like that's that's an issue that can be really challenging Mm -hmm. you'd like it not to be but it but it is. On the other side, sometimes I've gotten some pitches in where I was like, this is a phenomenal hook. But then once I dig in, I was like, "Ah, oh, there's nothing really here. Like the, the premise is great, but it's not, the, the execution just isn't there. And especially, when, you know, if I'm talking about doing a mini series, like it's four issues. And if issue one, like if you buy issue one, the hook is there. So you bought issue one and you read it, but the content isn't strong enough with a comic book series you're not coming back for two, three or four and I'm committed to publishing those. Right. So, (laughs) so yeah, it gets really, uh, it gets really scary. It's you know, the equivalent of being like, well, I'll pay $2 to get into the movie and 20 Mm -hmm. minutes in, I'll let you know if I'm going to give you the other eight. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, there's a, how do you actually deal with the hook and the actual content when you're teaching the classics?
1: Uh, well we talk about them sort of separately and then we'll we'll you know as students uh, create their own comics or whatever, you know, come up with their own ideas and notes we'll we'll try to help them meld them together. So that's a great story. How are you gonna sell it? We'll we'll talk through uh those things. Sort of there is a process, I think, um, to figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit more involved, but um but in some cases, it's it's as simple as sort of a checks and balances sort of thing. Like, oh, I've got a story that I really love, but I don't have the hook yet. And sometimes you know that and you just tuck it in the back of your brain. And then, you know, one one day something will strike you and the hook will appear. Um, I, had a, I had a title that I really liked for a couple of years called Five Days to Die. Mm-hmm. And I knew I liked the title and I knew basically that the hook was that this guy was going to have five days before he died. Mm-hmm. But I but I didn't have the story. And mm-hmm. then and then one day I was at an amusement park with my kids and we were all waiting in line for a Ferris wheel. And I don't know what it was about that Ferris wheel, but like the story dropped into my lap and and uh so I took out I carry a little notebook. So I took it out in my back pocket and just wrote a few sentences, put it back in my pocket, and a year later a five-issue mini series came out.
0: Nice. Very nice. Now in the, the process that you have with the class, when is the next class so that other people can actually go through this process and kind of build off the quality of their comments?
1: Uh, well, that depends what day this airs, Gamal. Because well, this is
0: going to air on the 13th of September.
1: Uh, and today is the 12th, so uh, it starts tonight is the answer.
0: <laughs> oh, so... Okay.
1: We should have done, done this last time, but uh, but yeah, the intro to comics writing class from Comics Experience starts tonight. There are uh, there are a few seats left though, so if you want to hop on over and click on it, we'll, we'll get you in. We'll get okay.
0: You in. Very good. And the class, but you'll but you do these classes like every like four months.
1: We do uh, we do offer them. Yeah, the intro classes we we tend to offer a little bit more frequently. It's usually two or three times in a year.
0: Okay, so if people hear it after today. They they do not have to despair. They could actually check out the class another time. And there are several other different levels of class that Comics Experience offers. A lot of the links to the classes for the fall are going to be in the show notes uh, for this episode because that's going to do it for this episode of the Comics Connection podcast. Check us out next time. and We will come back to talk about both the business and creative side of making your comics. So until then... Have fun with your comments.